prayer is our communication with God. And communication is essential to any relationship. Without communication, the relationship will grow weaker and weaker, and eventually it can even die. So think about, go back to your friends in high school, right? And how many of us were like, oh, you know, we'll always stay in touch and we'll, you know, get together and do things. And, you know, years later, looking back, you're trying to remember some of their names, you know? Oh, I remember that guy's face. What was his name again? And so, and that's what happens. There's just no longer that communication. Eventually, those relationships just eventually begin to fade away. And that could be the same in our relationship with God. If we are not having that communication with God every day through prayer, if we're not taking that time to be with him and to nurture that, then eventually we're going to find we're going to drift farther and farther and farther away from him. And he's the one that, that's always there for us. It is us that is moving away from him. God is never moving away from us. Pope Emeritus Benedict stated over and over again in his writings and talks that Christianity is not an idea. It's not an idea like communism or socialism or all those other isms are. He says, rather, Christianity is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we want to get to know that person. We're not just getting to know an idea. We're getting to know a person. Pope Francis states in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, that is Latin for joy of the gospel, I invite all Christians everywhere at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, or at least an openness to letting him encounter them. I ask all of you to do this unfailingly each day. No one should think that this invitation is not meant for him or her, since no one is excluded from the joy brought by the Lord. One of the reasons that I am weaving the joy of the gospel throughout these talks is when I first read that, that exhortation, I was amazed by how many different parts of it connected to the interior castle. And I began to suspect that Pope Francis was a closet Carmelite and that he's just a Jesuit just for public, you know, uh, consumption because he speaks in a way, and I think the joy of the gospel, I, I, I think it's probably one of his best writings. Um, some of his others are not, uh, I think, as rich as, as this particular one is. And so we really encourage and invite you, you know, to, to go online sometime and to, to print it off. And once again, don't try to read it all the way through. You know, read it in small parts and just savor and get to, to understand uh, and know as a spiritual father for us and, you know, for the whole Catholic Church, that he has great wisdom uh, in that writing that can be very helpful to us. St. Teresa of Avila, in the prologue to the interior castle, she stresses the value of knowing oneself. And this is absolutely key to understanding that book. She says, how many people take the time in their lives to examine themselves? 
How many become completely distracted by the world? Never taking quiet time, never taking the time to ask the important questions. How is my relationship with God, with the Catholic Church, with other people, with the world as a whole? What are my weaknesses and my strengths? What is the overriding sin in my life? What keeps me from loving God and others more? Am I too self-absorbed? Do I recognize and pay attention to the poor around me? Who are the poor around me? Those are just some of the questions that we should be asking as we get to know ourselves. St. Teresa of Calcutta, who, by the way, had a great love and devotion to both St. Teresa of Avila and to St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. Um, And that's why she chose the religious name St. Teresa. Um, She writes, um, she gives a great insight into who the poor might be in our neighborhoods and towns. She says, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but only the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there's a hunger for God. Pope Francis, in the Joy of the Gospel, says, spiritual conversion, the intensity of the love of God and neighbor, zeal for justice and peace, the gospel meaning of the poor and of poverty are required of everyone. It is essential to draw near to new forms of poverty and vulnerability in which we are called to recognize the suffering Christ, even if this appears to bring us no tangible and immediate benefits. I think of the homeless, the addicted, refugees, indigenous peoples, the elderly who are increasingly isolated and abandoned, and many others. Besides knowing oneself, St. Teresa also speaks of being as grateful for the blessings we observe in other people as we are for those that we see in ourselves. You know, this looking around at others instead of having that envy, that jealousy, because this person has this particular gift and I don't. This person does this better than I do. And that envy and jealousy that wants to move in, she reminds her sisters and all of us that we are to have a humble gratitude, a true, deep appreciation for how God has gifted others and to come to appreciate and celebrate those gifts. So humble gratitude is the first virtue that she discusses, and humility is at the center of becoming holy. Without humility, she says, there is no holiness. It will never happen. 
St. Teresa states, while we are here on earth, nothing is more important to us than humility. For St. Teresa of Avila, this humility is tied to gratitude. A thankfulness for all God has given us and all God has given to others. In the Dissidereta, an ancient prayer of the church, we are told, If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. What great wisdom there is in this as a reminder to us that we are to have that humble gratitude for what God has given us as well as what he has given to others and that he has not given to us. We hear St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So no one has all the gifts. If somebody did, that person would truly be obnoxious, annoying to be around. Look at me! I have all the gifts. <laughs> some of you only have some of them, but I have all of them. That is not the way God wanted it to be. He gave some this gift. He gave some that gift. Others this gift. And then he brings us all together, and all together we have all the gifts. But separately, we have our own distinct gifts that God has given to us. St. Teresa Avila then continues with her discussion of prayer, and she describes the person who does not pray as being like a person whose limbs are paralyzed, whose hands and feet are useless. So the person who does not pray is like a paralyzed person. In other words, she says, the person has become too much like the world around him or her. Pope Francis tells us in the joy of the gospel, the great danger in today's world, pervaded as it is by consumerism, is the desolation and the anguish born of a complacent yet covetous heart, the feverish pursuit of frivolous pleasures and a blunted conscience. Whenever our interior life becomes caught up in its own interests and concerns, there's no longer room for others, no place for the poor. God's voice is no longer heard. The quiet joy of his love is no longer felt, and the desire to do good fades. This is a very real danger for believers, too. Many fall prey to it and end up resentful, angry, and listless. That is no way to live a dignified and fulfilled life. It is not God's will for us, nor is it the life in the spirit which has its source in the heart of the risen Christ. 
Prayer, according to St. Teresa of Avila, must be accompanied by a sincere self-evaluation. Not to think too much of oneself, but also not to think too little. There has to be that very careful balance. This sincere self-evaluation is critically important. The reason some people avoid prayer is that they do not want to see themselves for who they really are. I had a prisoner back in Wyoming, and she told me that she couldn't pray. She'd come into church, and she'd try to sit there for a couple of minutes and just be in that quiet, and she'd immediately become restless. Her mind would just start going all over the place, and she said, I couldn't stand it. And after five minutes, she gave up and left. And she asked me, what should I do, Father? And I said, stay. <laughs> Don't leave. Stay there with the Lord. And he'll eventually bring you around. St. Teresa reminds us, terrible are the wiles and deceits used by the devil so that souls may not know themselves or understand their own paths. And one of the greatest ways that Satan does this is to say we don't have time for prayer, that when we try to make that time for prayer, then he begins to make us watch the clock he gets us to become more and more restless, and we lose that patience with ourselves, and we just give up. And the last thing you know, that Satan wants us to do is to examine our lives, to know ourselves, so that we can clearly see and overcome our failings with God's grace, as well as appreciate and use our gifts for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. You see, Satan wants to keep us in ignorance. Tell us, don't worry. Don't worry about those sins. Don't worry. They're small ones anyhow. And you're fine the way you are. Don't you know this is the age of self-acceptance? Take me as I am. I remember somebody said that to me one time, and I said, no thanks. <laughs> This, this thinking, you know, I don't have to change anything and that people should accommodate me and look out for number one, think only of yourself. You know, all those things that comes with what we call an excessive individualism. As the great philosopher Socrates states, the unexamined life is not worth living. That is a profound statement from a pagan philosopher who recognized to not even come to know ourselves and to die without knowing what a waste that is. This self-examination is not only necessary for each and every individual person but for institutions as well, especially the church. 
Pope Francis states in the Gospel of the Joy, chapter 1. This is the source of the Church's heroic and impatient struggle for renewal, the struggle to correct those flaws introduced by her members, which her own self-examination, mirroring her exemplar, Christ points out to her and condemns. And I think we've seen that up close and personal lately, um, as the church has had to deal with the sexual abuse crisis and really come to a self-examination. What is really going on there? And I don't think the church has yet gotten to the clear answers of why we have gotten to where we are. I think we're getting closer. I think we've taken some steps. But I think we have a ways to go before we truly understand what is going on and then can really effectively deal with it as a church. So we continue to pray for St. Teresa's intercession for our church, that it may come to experience that renewal and that rebirth that God so wants. St. Teresa then warns us against two different errors in prayer. The first, she states, is to mindlessly pray memorized prayer. She says, that's not really prayer at all. I was laughing with a parishioner the other day. We were talking about how the mind gets distracted in Mass and how once in a while, after praying to Our Father, you all of a sudden think, oh, we just prayed the Our Father. And I didn't pray one word of it. (laughs) And that's sometimes what happens. And so she says, don't just say memorized prayers for the sake of saying them. Um, she says, if you're reaching that point, then, then that, that prayer is, is very empty. She says, you know, you have to then back up. You have to take a step back and maybe just kind of take a little time out and then reapproach that in a, in a better way. Maybe find a better time to pray, especially if we're really tired and, and we're saving our prayers to the end of the day. And in our, we just don't have that energy, that ability to pray. Um, and we just find that, yeah, we're just kind of going through the routine. Um, find that better time. If you're a morning person, find time in the morning. If you're a night person, uh, save that quiet time with Christ for night. Um, whatever works best for you. That's one of the things that she would say to her sisters often. And... You know, she's not against memorized prayer. She sees that memorized prayer is good and worthy. And that, you know, it's mainly using that kind of prayer without involving the mind and the heart. She says, then that's just praying for the sake of praying. Second, she warns us of the opposite extreme in prayer. And that is this spontaneous prayer that is kind of a stream of consciousness. (laughs) that does not take the time for self-examination and instead is caught up in pride, that reduces God from being the creator of all to somehow being our servant at our beck and call. And note, once again, she is not against spontaneous prayer. I don't want the charismatic suddenly storming my rectory um, saying, Father, we heard you are teaching people 
that spontaneous prayer is bad. It's like, no, she's, she's not against spontaneous prayer, but only that kind which takes off in an undisciplined way and is really just caught up in the world and oneself. It never gets close to the overall goal of prayer, which is to love God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbor as ourself. So until we turn ourselves away from worldly things and thinking, she says, those prayers will remain ineffective. As Pope Francis tells us in the Gospel of the Joy, thanks solely to this encounter or renewed encounter with God's love, which blossoms into an, en- an enriching friendship, we are liberated from our narrowness and self-absorption. We become fully human when we become more than human, when we let God bring us beyond ourselves in order to attain the fullest truth of our being. So let us pause at this juncture to talk about the castle. Okay, the castle is made of crystal. Its beauty is beyond description. And that castle is our soul. And God dwells in the center of that castle. This is similar to St. John's description of heaven in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 18. The wall around the city was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. Now, the castle is surrounded by a large, high wall that is made of stone. And so, this time I invite you to take out the handouts on the castle that I gave you. There's the three of them. So the castles in Spain, for those of you who have visited there, you know they they have very thick walls and they're often what we would call almost overbuilt. And of course they were built in the time when you were using cannonballs and you know gunpowder had become uh, a very uh, popular weapon to use. And you had to have a castle that could withstand those attacks from outside. And so the Spanish, you know, built very, very thick walls around their castles. And you can even see some of those in the States, you know, down in Florida and those regions where the Spanish settled and built forts. And one of the first things that we see when we're looking at the castle is those large high walls that go around it. And so you have a picture here of one of those castles, and you see how high those walls are. And one of the great sadness that St. Teresa had in her life was she said, how many people, first and foremost, want to remain outside the wall of the castle? That... They are not even interested in going inside. 
They don't even want to see what's past the wall. She says how sad it is that, that a person should look at the wall and admire the wall of the castle and think that that's all that there is. So maybe they look and they say, oh, it's well built. And, and look at the different stone that's used in it. And, 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 and look how solid it is. And they get this initial experience of this wall around the castle. But that's all they get. And they don't even know that there's anything inside the walls of the castle. And they have no desire to go there. And she talks about what a great sadness this is. That people would be content with just knowing that outside wall. Because you and I know there is so much more to our lives than that. And yet, how many people do we even know in the world that have this approach? They're caught up in the superficial. They're basically seeking pleasure And that's all that concerns them. You know, they're caught up in a variety of addictions and other things. And and they never take that time to get to know themselves or to know God. They are only going to be content with knowing that wall and nothing more. And she says, part of our prayer as Carmelites, and this should be the prayer of any one who claims Christ, is to pray for those souls and to offer sacrifices and good works for those souls. Because those souls need God, and they need God badly. And to have them go through their whole life and have that unexamined life, and then to die at the end and looking back and seeing all that they missed, that is a terrible sadness. And so she has a special love and devotion to those lost souls. And it was her desire. She's just one person, but she's saying, I'm going to touch as many lives, as many hearts as I can in my time here on earth. And I pray to God, she says, you know, I don't become what one of my professors used to like to say, a slacker. (laughs) You know, somebody who just is going to, Just get by and, yeah, you know, I'll still get into heaven, but I'm not going to do anything more. I'm not going to do anything uh, that requires uh, any more effort than I want to give. I'm not going to do anything other than avoiding sin and basically doing a few nice things for people, uh, maybe writing a check once in a while for the poor, and that's it. But I'm not going to go out there and actually encounter the world and meet that world and try to convert those hearts to Jesus Christ. And she, she really, I mean, she was so on fire and so, she had, because she knew this love of God, she just could not hold it in. She wanted everyone to know that love of God in the way that she did. And you see that throughout her writings. She's just, there's this impatience that she has of wanting to tell this to everyone and, and for them to get it. 
Sometimes she wasn't always patient with people and, and wondered, like, why aren't you getting this? It should be obvious by now. And, of course, you know, as we see, like in St. Mark's Gospel, you know, the apostles were slow learners, <laughs> and we are too, right? I think all of us can admit, like, oh, if only I'd known at 20 what I know at 40, if I could only know at 40 what I know at 60. We always see that, looking back and recognizing, if I'd only had more wisdom, Lord. So we should have that same love, that same desire, that same you know, eagerness and, and, and zealousness to want to bring that love of Christ to others. So she says in the, uh, that the castle, you know, surrounded by those high walls, so instead of reflecting on the beauty of the diamond, she's, um, she says that many focus on the setting of the ring instead. Now, wouldn't that be odd? Can you imagine, like, like you know, your, your, your fiancé is proposing to you, and he gives you a ring, and you ignore the stone, and you just keep talking about, that's, that's a really nice setting. That's a great setting. You really picked out a wonderful setting. <laughs> what about the stone? What about, what about the diamond? The, look at the huge diamond I got you, you know? And you're just, like, not even mentioning that, not even acknowledging that. She says, that's what it is for some people. That's, they're, they're, they're just going to look at the setting, and that's it. They're not going to see that beautiful diamond on that ring. And then she ties this analogy to the castle. So instead of seeing the castle um, with its beauty, um, they're just content with looking at that castle wall. She says, there are many souls who are in the outer courtyard and don't care at all about entering the castle, nor do they know what lies within that most precious place, nor who is within, nor even how many rooms it has. They do not enter within their own souls. So she's talking now about the outer courtyard. This is the, the courtyard that's inside the walls. And it, but it's that space that goes around the castle on the inside. And she says, okay, they know there's a castle there. So they know more than the people on the outside here. And they're looking at it and they're, and they're saying, well, it's beautiful. But then they don't want to do anything more. Now, how many of us know the love of Christ? How many of us know Jesus in the beautiful way that he is there in that tabernacle with us? How many of us, we know that, right? But how many of us come and take the time to be with him? How many of us are saying, well, you had Jesus you know, you're, you're in that beautiful tabernacle, and your beauty is beyond anything that tabernacle can express. And, and Lord, we know you're the most beautiful and precious thing on this earth. And then say, but I'm not going to spend any time with you. That's what she says we do when we ignore Jesus, and we don't have that time with him. She says, how many people do we know like this? How many people in the town we live in do not know God in, even, in an even general way? How many say they do not believe in God at all? That's the latest trend, right? Among the millennials, those that declare they're atheists now, 
There's about 15% of them or so that now say they don't believe in God. They don't believe in religion at all. They've given up on it all. Now I can tell you, it is my hope that many of them will eventually come around because they are going to see the emptiness that comes from rejecting God and his church. And she says, how many, even if they say they know God, do not know his son Jesus Christ in a deep and personal way? How many say they believe in the idea of God, but do not believe in a God who makes any demands on them? And I have encountered this with, with individuals. They're like, oh, I, I believe in God. I just don't think he has the right to make any rules for me. So you believe there's a God that somehow created all of this, but he has no say over their life and how they live it. How many souls do we know who are lost, hopeless, alone, despairing, and empty? Who sit outside the castle and think the only thing that exists is the walls surrounding it? So we must reach out to these people and not let them be content with just admiring the wall. But in order to reach out to them, we must first have that deep relationship with Christ. And a thing to note here is we do not need to be perfect or have it all together before we reach out. Because if we do that, we will never reach out. Do you think the apostles, when they were first sent out by Jesus, had it all together? Do you think that they were perfect at that point? No, they, but that did not stop them from going out there and witnessing to Christ. Christ tells us to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect, and while he knows we will never achieve that perfection in this life, he expects us to try as hard as we can with his grace to get as close to that perfection as we can. But this is a lifelong process. So once we have that solid relationship with Christ, we continue to strive for that perfection, and we continue to learn about and grow in our faith, while at the same time beginning to share that faith with all whom we meet. Pope Francis tells us in the Gospel of the Joy, if we wish to lead a dignified and fulfilling life, we have to reach out to others and seek their good. He then continues, and may the world of our time, which is searching, sometimes with anguish, sometimes with hope, to be enabled to receive the good news, not from evangelizers who are dejected, discouraged, impatient, or anxious, but from ministers of the gospel whose lives glow with fervor, who have first received the joy of Christ. A joyful Christian is contagious. St. Teresa of Avila knew this as well. She reminded her sisters often that joyful sisters do much good for the monastery or convent. To have that joy, and that's a joy that is deep in our hearts. It's not a joy that depends on emotions. I can be sad that I just lost a friend or a parent to death. And at the same time, I can be joyful. Because my joy is knowing what? That they'll be in the resurrection. That they'll have eternal life in heaven. And that one day I will see them again. That is the joy that is always there underneath. That outside sadness. That's, that's where our emotions are at at the moment. But that joy is something much deeper. It's at the core of our being. It exists in that seventh dwelling. 
So how does the soul go from being outside the wall to the interior courtyard and to the first room? And St. Teresa answers this quite succinctly. She says, The gate of entry to this castle is prayer and reflection. Getting to know oneself. Prayer and reflection. It is prayer that opens a door to the castle. And if one does not pray, that door will never be open. See, God gives us that initial grace to respond to him. Every human being has this, this, this initial grace um, to know God, to know him in that general way. Um, but to know him in a specific way, that is, as Jesus Christ, we have to have somebody who knows Christ to be able to tell that to us and to, to help us to come to know Jesus Christ as that person and so every being having that grace to, to know God in that general way, they, you know, there's, there's those that claim that God has not communicated with them. And, and St. Teresa would say that's nonsense. God communicates with everyone. There's just those who haven't communicated back. And so as Pope Francis states in the Gospel of the Joy, the life of the church should always reveal clearly that God takes the initiative, that he has loved us first, and that he alone gives the growth. God's reached out to us. And he's made it so that we can know him in that general way. And St. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his external power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are not without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. In other words, there's no excuse for anyone to say God has never revealed himself to them. For we can know God through his very creation, just as a painter is known through his or her painting. So to enter the gate... And to then stop praying is the worst thing a soul can do. St. Teresa herself speaks about how at one point in her life, because she felt that complete absence of God, that what we call a dark night of the soul, where she received no consolations, no reassurances from God, she gave up praying. She makes it clear this is the worst thing she could have done. For a whole year, she stopped praying. She said, I'm not getting anything from it. <laughs> so she said, you know what? The deal is off. I'm not praying to you anymore. You haven't given me anything in return, so forget it, God. I'm not continuing with this. And that, she says, was the worst mistake of her life. And she says over and over again throughout the interior castle, don't do what I did. Do not stop praying. Never, ever stop. She says the grave danger she put herself in and how she opened herself completely to the influences of Satan and the world, she says, only but by the grace of God did I avoid the destruction of my soul. 
And so this is very important because you and I, we can all be tempted and we can say, I just, you know, prayer, it is just a chore sometimes. And it's sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's tedious and my mind goes all over the place and I you know, just try to even fit it in my day and all these other things. And so we just kind of say, I'm just not going to do it. And she says, as soon as we do that, we're putting ourselves in the outer courtyard. Now we're just looking at the castle again from the outside and telling God, I'm not going any further. I'm not going in through that door because you, God, you haven't done your part yet. Do you hear the opposite of humility in that? That pride, that defiance. We're telling God, you're not doing what I want you to. Therefore, I'm not doing what you want me to. Instead of understanding, God is doing a lot, but often it is hidden. And he's expecting us to trust in him. And he wants us to open that door and to walk in to that castle and come to experience him in a deep and amazing way. So St. Teresa speaks about the necessity of the discipline of prayer, of having a set time and place for prayer every day, for even the busiest of people. And that is, and even if that prayer is dry, or if our mind is full of distractions, or we're restless, that we continue to pray for a given time. So say, you know, don't, don't go crazy with this in the beginning. I'm going to pray one hour or two hours a day, Lord. Uh, this whole Lent, I'm going to just give two hours a day in quiet prayer with you and then find out after a couple of days, that's too much and I can't do this and pretty soon we just give up. Instead, she says to approach it in the way of, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. 10 minutes every day at this set time, I'm going to come and be with you in whatever setting we choose. You know, I recommend being with the Blessed Sacrament. Hopefully you're your churches are open in the areas you live, um, that you can do that. If not, you know, find that quiet place somewhere where you can be without interruptions, distractions, and just be with the Lord and allow him to really and truly speak to you. And you are faithful to that no matter what. So let's say, okay, I'm going to pray every morning at 6.30 a.m., for 10 or 15 minutes. So 6.30, 6.30 comes around, you just stop everything you're doing, you go and you do that prayer time. And you do that each day. And you're faithful to it. And there'll be some days you'll be sitting there and you'll be thinking, okay, what do I have to do today? Let's see, I have to pick up the laundry. And I have to, oh, go by the grocery store. And then I need to, oh, yeah, and the kids got the soccer game tonight. And let's see, I got to, what am I going to make for supper tonight? We'll get pizza. And we'll, uh, da, da, da. and you'll find your 10 minutes were that. <laughs> and she says, that's all right. She says, that's what we call useless prayer. But <laughs> you are establishing the discipline. You are making this something 
that eventually she says, and this goes back to St. Thomas Aquinas, act, habit, virtue, act, habit, vice. We do an act, we do it over and over again, it becomes a habit. A good habit is called a virtue, a bad habit is called a vice. So she's saying you're acquiring a good virtue. You're doing this each day, and pretty soon you'll find after a couple weeks, a couple months, it becomes natural. It becomes a part of your day. And then she says you gradually add to the time. So 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Now, Lord, I can do 20. And then when you feel you got that down, maybe 25, maybe even 30. And at some point, maybe even to give a full hour with Jesus every day. And find that that's a natural thing. It's something you actually look forward to. And so that discipline of prayer is so important. And she says you have to remain faithful to it. And that's what got her back to prayer. Was doing that very practice. She says, I had it all wrong. (laughs) I thought God was supposed to give me all these things. If I prayed, then he was going to do this, this, and this. But instead, she says, I figured it out. I am to do this, and then God is going to do his part. And I don't have to always know or understand what that is, as long as I'm faithful to my part. And so at this point, we will go ahead and uh, pause until our next talk. And our next talk will jump right into the first and second dwellings. And begin to look and see how it is that we can eventually make it to that seventh dwelling, which is where God truly desires us to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, St. Teresa of Avila, 